As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery, a podcast about a life or lives following Watford Football Club, brought to you by The Athletic. Now, none of us can go out-out, but yesterday Watford went away-away. Uh, they played Coventry at Birmingham City and it was a, a draw and it wasn't a great performance. And as you heard, most of you hopefully, uh, on the last podcast, no one was impressed with the QPR and we had lots of questions. Of course, we had hope. There was definitely some hope there that uh, Cisco would... Be bold and try something different that the players, you never know, might step up. My name is John. With me this morning uh, is Mike. Yeah, I said in the group chat yesterday, it feels like everything has gone so badly wrong. Talking about it is, is redundant. So what on earth are we doing here, John? That's my question to you. <laughs> Hopefully trying to make ourselves feel better because that's what it does <laughs> by talking these things through. Uh, and also Jason. Good morning. Uh, and later on, we'll be joined by Adam Leventhal uh, to see what he's been uh, finding out post Watford's away draw at Coventry. Now, Mike, you know, we didn't see much different, basically, in that game. It, it could be argued that it was a poorer performance than we saw against QPR. And in fact, to, to quote you on our WhatsApp group, it was insepid, timid and flat. Yeah. There, was, there was nothing. Unfortunately, you could, you could use those three adjectives for the 27 or 28 games that preceded it as well. There's been no change, really, in Watford's demeanour or performance throughout the throughout the entire season. I actually said for the first time this season at halftime, I said, "Right, I'm tapping out. I'm not watching. I'm not watching the second half." And I'll admit that it it, it was a bit performative. It was a bit sort of a bit of a flamboyant flounce. I'm not watching this nonsense anymore. But but the reason I said it was because I knew with virtual certainty that I could not watch the second half and predict exactly what was going to happen and that prediction would be that what would happen was absolutely nothing well that's the thing you say nothing is that would I could have predicted that the performance would be a nothing the chances are we could score a goal maybe a penalty and and Coventry could have scored a goal and and that would have changed the result the result but not in terms of the quality of performance 
Coventry should have scored. Coventry should have won. Coventry with a with a better side. Watford, uh, certainly away from home, turn up, and that was the extent of the the positive intent that that we take to to away games. Perhaps Stoke being the the obvious exception with a with a decent second half performance. But it seems to be that getting eleven men onto the pitch is the extent of of our ambition at the moment. It's you can't really say the performances are poor. Because as far as I'm concerned, they're not even really performances. They are 11 men wearing the same shirt existing on a patch of grass. And that is it. it I am, it's almost impressive, the lack of intensity, the lack of plan, the lack of ability to sort of um, ask any questions of the, of the opposition. I mean, it's bizarre that they don't manage to, you know, that they, they do, are picking up points somehow. Not getting a point is, is astonishing when you, when you take into account the, the performance. It is, I'm, I'm at an, a loss. I haven't got the words, I haven't got the adjectives, I haven't got the skill to, to describe the sort of the lack of anything that these, the, the, these away performances in particular are. I am I'm staggered and, and I'm deeply, deeply concerned. Jace, what did you take from that performance, though? Is there, apart from what Jake and Mike said, uh, yeah, is there anything that you can look at and you go, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to sit here and just pick it apart and say this was bad, this was bad, this was bad, and this was bad. We all know that. But was there, is there things that you can see where the rest of the season isn't going to be a nightmare? Not, not particularly from yesterday's performance. I think, I think you can pick out where things perhaps need to change. Um, if you're looking for positives, we probably need to offer a hat tip to the uh, to the defence yesterday because I thought they got little protection yeah. from the midfield, particularly down the middle. And I made a flippant comment in the WhatsApp group yesterday saying, well, what? yeah, things are supposed to have changed, but what has changed? Absolutely nothing. Where in fact, I think what did change was that our central midfielders were perhaps pressing more or moving forward more quickly, but that in turn had a negative effect because... Coventry always seem to have players available in between our midfield and our defence to pick up the scrap. So when they lobbed it forward, if there was a, a, a sort of 50-50 duel in the air, they were picking up all the all the second balls from that because we had no one in behind. Our midfield was still tracking back from pushing forward. But to be honest, they had to do that very little because most of the time they were able to sort of play and carry the ball through midfield very, very comfortably. I think it was... Um, Harmer and O'Hare were the, were the two, I think, that seemed to do a lot of the ball carrying and they just seemed to be in acres of space all the time. So if you want something to carry forward to the next game is that we need to do something to change that midfield because with too many midfield, it is not working. I thought there was a vague early glimpse of, of perhaps a bit of hope when Ngakia picked the ball up in, in the right-back position and, and tried to, to power on down the line. You thought, OK, right, there's going to be some sort of... The, the ball carrying is, is non-existent and has been for, for, for far too much of the season. And I think, oh, OK, well, at least he's going to try. But that was it. <laughs> you know, a right back picking the ball up and running forward 40 yards was pretty much the highlight until what Troy hit the, hit the bar, didn't he, late on with a, mm. with a header and things changed a little bit when, uh, when they made the very late changes. But the fact that a right back running forward with vague intent of getting over the halfway line was cause for some sort of vague hope... I think tells us where we are and 
despite my negativity over the 10, 10 years we've been doing this podcast, I do try and be as measured as, as possible. I have grown up slightly. I don't don't throw wobblies every single week. Um, and, and this season, I've been saying, you look at the team, you think, well, look, there is, there is talent there. And if it does click, they will... They will ask questions of the opposition, but here we, is it twenty-eight games now, and it hasn't clicked, and it's 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 there's no sign of it whatsoever, and you you have to say that if it's not clicked by now, then how on earth is it going to? What is going to change now that is going to that the flick the switch and turn you know what frankly looks like a team of talented individuals, uh, albeit doing just that uh, that there is no cohesion. There is no, you know, there's no ounce of recognition that, that that is a football team that is anywhere near promotion. And you have to now draw the conclusion that, and Don Don Goodman summed it up yesterday, and that watching it on, on Sky, it was quite shocking, although not surprising at all, just how amazed they were at how bad Watford were. And, and Don Goodman said, I think that the phrase was, top two is an absolute impossibility for this side if they play like this and if they are lucky enough to sneak into the playoffs getting through the playoffs is an impossibility too now Don Goodman's watched a lot of championship football he's been working for Sky for a long time and he's been making silk purses out of sow's ears in terms of poor fare on 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 Sky trying to sort of weave some sort of magic for the viewer to watch so he's seen some dross and for him and, and his commentator yesterday to be quite so damning uh, of Watford, which was, and, and I'll reiterate, a spectacularly poor and feeble performance, was quite telling. And I make him absolutely right. For this Watford side, playing continually like this, promotion is an absolute impossibility. I thought until a week, two weeks, ten days ago, perhaps, before QP, I thought, right, you know, there's an opportunity for this team, if they come good... Um, then, then this season could could be fun, and you described it as a as a nightmare, John. I don't think it's even a nightmare. It's not even that exciting. Look, it's pathetic, is what it is. It's absolutely pathetic. The away goals tally is is laughable. Uh, the home goals tally isn't isn't much better. But it's not even the goals. It's just the performances. There is nothing there. And for me, sitting here this morning, having had a, a chance to sleep on it. The rest of yesterday, unfortunately, to, to, to mull over the performance. Don Goodman uh, is absolutely right. Promotion for this side in this state is an absolute impossibility. Agreed. But I am of the thinking where, hey, le- yes, le- 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 how are you going to look at this season? There are 18 games left. How do you look at those last 18 games? Are you going to look at those last 18 games and say, let's forget about them? You can't because you've got another 40-odd games the following season. So what is it that we do? What is it that we can do to start to make, more than anything, a positive mindset leaving the end of this season into next season? And for me, the, the, the first you, know, you look at yesterday's game and you look at how those wide players of Ken and Ishmael Asar were just not doing what they should be doing. Now, why weren't they doing what they should be doing? Is it a tactical thing, Jason, where they've been told to not run at them and to tuck in? Or is it the fact that they weren't getting the support and the balls coming to them in a variety of ways? They were, just getting, they were trying to get long balls from defence, but the midfield weren't supplying them in the way that is really going to make them dangerous. Yeah, I think there's a combination of things there. I think Mike mentioned Jeremy and Gakia 
earlier. It was quite pleasing to see him starting in a right-back position, but I just thought his partnership with Saar yesterday just, just didn't seem to exist. Non-existent. Yeah. I thought the passing, and, and again across the board, not picking up individuals, the passing was poor. We were trying to sort of feed balls through gaps that were non-existent. I thought the wide players sort of cut frustrated figures, as uh, we've seen that quite often with um, with Saar this season when he's had poor games uh, he's just he just looks frustrated and he looked at that again yesterday but I thought it was the same from Ken probably I mean you could potentially say his his worst game in a Watford shirt this season because he's been quite effective otherwise he to be honest he sort of carried us through a few games um yeah, yes. but it wasn't it wasn't there for him yesterday we saw him try I, I mean he tried to take on the defenders but they seemed to have the better of him yesterday uh, he just didn't have that normally if he hasn't got the pace he's got the strength to be able to take players on and it just wasn't there for him yesterday why i don't know perhaps I, 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 i'm trying not to put ken on a pedestal for being the uh, the man to carry us through but perhaps the performance of the rest of the team was dragging him down as well when there's a malaise about the place i guess you've got to be a pretty strong character to not let that drag you down if you're seeing performances around you not be good enough how is it going to make you feel as a as a, as a player that coventry all the the preamble in the before the game was watford pushing for promotion mark robbins the the coventry manager doing a terrific job of keeping coventry in the division right staying up is their sole aim before the game they showed a a package of and they were talking about coventry's play and how they've improved throughout the season and they showed a package of six or seven goals scored by Coventry various different moves balls in from wide uh, intricate balls on the edge of the box wonderful goals and you thought crikey this is Coventry City absolutely no disrespect to Cov at all but they're talking about a team fighting for relegation and their play you know the goals they showed it's like oh my god I would what I'd give for one of those from this side and look I think confidence is obviously non-existent so, Mike, do you think then it's the burden of expectation that's our problem? If you've got a side like Coventry that can play good football when expectation is quite low, do you think our players are struggling because they're not in the top two at the moment, not running away with the league like everyone said they might do at the start of the season? I, I do think we also need to we need to take a step back, and, and I'm not I'm not prepared to make excuses for. For, for well-paid well-paid footballers. However, personally, I've found, found the last couple of weeks incredibly difficult in terms of lockdown and the pandemic and everything that's going on in the world. I've, I haven't felt at my best by, by quite a long shot. And I was reminded when football came back after lockdown and I was a bit sort of disturbed at the, the Watford performances, I was reminded at that stage that footballers are just people too. They're not superheroes. They're not people acting out a film. They're people having to deal with their real life and turn up at work and perform. And so I think there has to be, you know, if I'm feeling naff, um, then there's every possibility that, that those guys are feeling naff as well. So I think it's important to, that we do retain that context. You know, this, this is, and, and, and my brother described it yesterday, we were talking about, I think football at the moment is a tick box exercise um, being being 
played just to make sure it's played and to meet contractual obligations. That's about it, really. It isn't football as we know it. It isn't the sport that we love. It isn't the reason that we have been doing this podcast for 10 years. It isn't the reason we love football and we love Watford. It just isn't. We have to remind ourselves of that. And it's difficult because we watch football as an outlet, as an escape to bring us some joy. Um, But it's completely joyless at the moment. And I think the players will recognise that as well. And I don't. I think they will feel the burden of expectation because they will hold themselves to to high standards. Because I think they will all, or at least the majority of them, see themselves as Premier League or or top flight footballers. I think the majority of them will genuinely see themselves as that, and they will know when they trudge off that pitch that their performances have been nowhere near that. What the answer is, I don't know. Head coach confidence, um, lack of desire, lack of wanting to be at Watford I don't know what it is it feels like at this stage it's a combination a toxic horrible unpleasant combination of everything any potential negative impact that you can think of that would have on a footballer and a football team I think is now feeding into Watford lack of form lack of confidence lack of belief in the in the system lack of of a true feeling that this club they're playing for is is moving in the right direction you can't play like that so regularly if all those things aren't going wrong because otherwise you'd be able to lift the performances somehow you know if you wake up in the morning think I'm really tired I'm going to struggle at work today you can have a cold shower and a cup of tea and say right come on let's do it you can change things if there are changeable aspects but when there's so much going wrong so much weighing down on you so much malaise I think it's a great word deep-rooted malaise that they haven't been able to shake out of themselves for 28 games now we've probably played well for an hour this season in total that doesn't happen unless there's a lot going wrong I think we're now at the stage where there is no simplistic answer there is no quick fix um, and it's for that reason that I think this season is, is, as far as I'm concerned, incredible that we're still up there. And of course we're still in with a shout. I mean, I've, what the rest of the division are doing, if Watford are turning up and playing like that and still have got however many points they've got, is, is, is quite staggering, really. There is no simple answer, which is why I do not know where they go from here. I, I've got no idea what we do, is, I'm afraid to admit. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. 
We're now joined by Adam Leventhal, the Watford correspondent for The Athletic. Uh, and Adam, you put a piece today on The Athletic, which, by the way, if you haven't subscribed, uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Uh, it's 3.99 a month, which works out about 13p a day. That piece, it was all about, a, a, we talked about a bad game already in this podcast, but it, it's been a bad week. And, and this game was just the culmination of many things. What did you see at the game yesterday? Because we weren't there. I did post on social media that at halftime of the the game against um, Birmingham, the first half of that match was an absolute shambles and was horrible to watch. And it forced me outside to just go for a walk just to clear my mind. And I was in exactly the same situation uh, at halftime of the game against Coventry because that first half was abject at best. And it was a real surprise. I saw the picture. There was a picture of a, an ambulance, and I'm sure that wasn't uh, wasn't by luck. And I thought, yeah, that's a that's perfect. That's the ambulance pulled up to take the remnants of Watford seasons away to uh, Dignitas in Switzerland. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it was just another day of high expectation and low delivery. I just thought that this was a you know this was going to be an opportunity to to right some wrongs. And that wasn't just sort of based on thin air. That was listening to what Shisko Munoz had said after the game against Queen's Park Rangers. Um, mm. You know, obviously we discussed it on the last podcast that they needed to to make some changes. That was what we were all expecting. And there were slight tinkers to the lineup. obviously. You know, it was, it was good to have Adam Messina back. It was good to have Jeremy Ngakia playing on his correct side. And then having Ken Semmer play on the, on the left-hand side. But then you've automatically then sacrificed Will Hughes. And I thought we'd discuss this. You have to put Will Hughes in the team. You have to play Will Hughes. It's not, it is not a, a debate because every time he plays, look, he's not up to full fitness yet, but every time he plays, he looks composed. He looks like he has the ability to do what is required in midfield, which involves taking a pass and carrying the ball forward finding another pass, moving into space and getting ready for that return pass. That's it's not the not, Watford way, Adam. Come on. So, this will be the, the white, well, almost literally white in Will Hughes's case. Um, we did some lookalikes in the week. He was, is it the white, the white king or uh, the guy from uh, Game of Thrones? Anyway, the, the elephant in the room, we haven't discussed Will Hughes' ad in the, in the podcast yet. So, people will be listening, shouting, what about, is it because he's not fit? Is that the reason he's not starting? Is that the get-out-of-jail card for, for, for Munoz? Because as far as I can tell, I mean, not starting Will Hughes in a, in, a, in a midfield that has failed to deliver all season is it's pretty unforgivable, really. I think, uh, I, <clears throat> well, I think that there, is, there, is, um, there was obviously fitness issues and he was coming back and he was getting ready. But that process took a long time um, and he was sort of you know, thrown in and then he started against Barnsley. Everyone saw that, oh, right, yeah, good, right, fine. Okay, we can settle down now. He's starting a game. And then he was sort of moved out for the next game. I, I forget some of the games in the, in the order that they are because they all seem to have just sort of uh, melted into a sort of a, a pit of, of doom and disappointment at times. Now it is a point whereby you have to try and change what you're doing in the midfield areas. And you have to play him. It's like, you know, I've got just about a yard away from me, I've got my old vinyl player. And I feel like a 
record that has a massive scratch in it that just keeps on skipping and skipping and skipping and skipping. He has to play. He adds something to the team. And Shisco Munoz almost acknowledged that in the press conference when we were talking ahead of this game. He said, yes, I'm aware that he um, you know, is, is probably going to be more effective in the middle. And then he's put on the bench. And you still play the same two people that you've been playing pretty much the whole of the season. And look, this isn't, this isn't a, a personal thing on either Tom Cleverley or Nathaniel Shalabar because, and I point this out in the piece, it's clear that they are feeling exposed. And when you look at how the team lines up, often it ends up being a 4-2-4. And if we are insisting on playing the ball pr- pretty much over the two central midfielders or around them, but especially over, playing a long ball up the top, if we're not winning those second balls and the opponent has three midfielders, we are instantly outnumbered and Nathaniel Shalabar and Tom Cleverley's role is effectively just having to put out fires all the time, not being able to impose themselves on the game. You can argue whether they are capable of doing that due to current form or ability or whatever you want to say, but the setup of the side, and it's been like this right from the start of the season. So often it's been too ponderous from the from the back, so everyone pushes up onto the last man, and that includes Ishmael Saar, it includes Ken Semmer. Saar still cutting in, being too central, so you have no width. It's been like that the whole season. And it's happening again. You know, we, we, we've, we, know, we know all this. Everyone watching at home will see this. But I suppose it's, it's, it's more pronounced when you're actually seeing the whole pitch in front of you being in the fortunate position of being inside the ground. Mike's obviously been there and, and seen it. And you obviously get that appreciation because you can see the whole pitch. One of the fascinating things I thought, Ad, from your piece was just that that, that speaks to the frustration of the, the players, sort of uh, with Chalabar shouting, you asked us to press over at, yeah. at the... At, and I'm sure, you know, there is communication between players and, 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 and head coaches in every game, of course there is. But that, that just that... It just feels so telling, doesn't it? That, that it's just a confusion that is yeah. feeding into a lack of confidence and, and a whole malaise that we've talked about. So bearing that in mind, Ad, bearing in mind the perceived misuse of Will Hughes, and yes, we have to we have to assume that there might be fitness issues there. Bearing in mind that the fact that he, that he seems to be getting the formation wrong and completely unable to unlock the talents of, you know, we've mentioned how Ken Semmer failed to perform yesterday. Ismail Assar has been a disappointment, perhaps not of his own making, just because they hadn't been deployed properly. So we're getting the the personnel wrong, we're getting the communication wrong, and it looks like we're getting the formation wrong. I've got to ask the question. Add, and this is the other elephant in the room. What what what's this future look like for the for the current head coach? The wording that I use in the, in the piece is that it's being monitored very very closely, and I think that it's a difficult one to sort of break down this one because the hierarchy decide whether this is a a player problem or if it's a head coach problem, and it's clear there are voices within the dressing room that are confused about what has been going on on the training pitch I highlighted in the in the piece that you know I found out that on Thursday for the majority of um, the training session they were working on a 3-5-2 formation and then by Saturday you know they're playing a 4-4-2 now that is unclear as to why they did that and latterly in the game they switched to a 3-5-2 
But I mean, that was more of a, come on, let's just try and win this game. I don't think it was a, a, a real sort of savvy tactical switch. There is also clearly some disappointment that, you know, you've got experienced players and this includes um, Troy Deeney, it includes Andre Gray, perhaps, you know, some other players that are being celebrated, you know, like Ishmael Assar and things like that, that aren't bringing enough to the table. You know, everyone has to be accountable in this. No one's sort of free from from criticism and everyone needs to to front up. I mean, Troy Troy spoke about it um, after the game to, to Hive Live and was saying, you know, we need to be more street smart and we need to do this and we need to do that. That's fine. But to be honest... You know, another elephant in the room is, yes, we've got Troy Deeney now playing as this sort of roaming, deep-lying central midfielder come right back, come left back that takes throw-ins at times. I mean, you know, what 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 is that all about? That's not what he is in the team for. And I don't think that that's what he's he's best served doing. You know, all these elephants in the room. You know, do, do you think do you think we should stick two of them up front? <laughs> <laughs> Dumbo, one nil. <laughs> <laughs> he could well, you get away with tripping a couple of players up maybe with his long trunk. Well, I didn't yeah. kick him. I didn't kick Has him. that come off his ear? He won't care, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I think that you know, and this isn't again. It's not. A, it's not a personal thing on on anyone. And I don't want to sort of invite any sort of criticism. And you're singling this person out. You're singling that person out. I think on the whole, you can sort of strip back the 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 whole thing to basically saying, look something something is missing in terms of the culture because there is no joined up thinking at the moment because you've got a head coach that is is picking a team which the fans are thinking well that's not quite right but then you're including players that on a normal day if you were to just write down those names on paper you would go oh no 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 they they should be able to deliver but then you have recent form for the likes of Deeney and for the likes of Gray, because let's not let's not beat around the bush. You need to score goals to win games, and we're not looking close to scoring goals. And the only point that we looked close to scoring a goal was when we brought on better players. Will Hughes, Stipe Paritza had a, had a chance, João Pedro had a chance, and he was able to carry the ball from midway inside the Coventry half to the edge of the box and ping a little clever pass in. And that also brought the best out of Troy Deeney. He played a lovely little pass through to Will Hughes, which he didn't quite connect with. So there is different ways of, of skinning this this cat, this mangy cat that is Watford at the moment. And I think that they need to make some, some severe, severe changes, but bold decisions, brave decisions, because it is clearly not working at the moment. And I don't know whether that is simply about you know, putting Zinkenagel in the team or, or changing this formation to 4-2-3-1 or, or whatever it is, or changing the head coach. I don't know what it is, but they are the ones that will suffer at the end of the day. Munoz might lose his job. The players will end up being championship players at the end of the season. The hierarchy will be in an even more grave financial state that they are already in. So they need to find the answers. We've, we've said this before. They need to sort of look within. There needs to be some honesty. There needs to be some, you know... Uh, some soul searching, genuine soul searching, not lip service. They have to do it because they are lurching from what, you know, they should never have lurched from a bad performance against QPR to a bad performance against Coventry. They have got a clear week now. And this is the last clear week that they're going to have for quite a few weeks. Um, you know, because then they've got Bristol City, Preston and Derby, three games within the space of seven days. 
correct and they're going to need to find an answer quick otherwise that that could just be a sort of a, just a slippery slope and then you could end up by the end of those three games out of the out of the playoffs so you know it's a big job the really important word for me adam is culture now i've 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 sort of given up on this season in terms of if things don't change obviously when Bristol City come you know ticks round I'll be as excited as anyone will be hopeful that we can turn it around but the reality is I think that this season is is probably done unless and I don't think it would be just this season that's be would be done I think we'll find ourselves in a continuing spiral of uh, of problems if this culture issue isn't isn't addressed because and this is going to sound silly but you look at the result coming in from Nottingham Forest yesterday where all of a sudden <laughs> Glenn Murray pops up and scores scores two you know a deft dink over the top wins a penalty scores a penalty James Garner uh, man of the match performance now you know Nottingham Forest very different club in a very different situation to, to Watford one spring does not make a, a one swallow does not make a spring in terms of those those guys and their their Nottingham Forest and future careers. However, it's eye catching. Similarly, West Ham United Dawson has found himself finally in the team. His his arrival in the team has coincided with some decent run of form uh, for for West Ham United. Now sort of occupying the European spots for heaven's sake, uh, with Craig Dawson scoring more than uh, than than our strikers in in recent weeks and the the, the two new sign uh, elephant signings up front. Um, you know, we've got, you've mentioned Philip Zinkenagel brought in, yes, from a from a league that we don't know much about, but seemingly with able to offer something to the side. Nowhere near the, the starting 11. Didn't even get onto the on, onto the pitch at, at Coventry. Uh, Dan Gosling, we heard from Peter Rutzler about how what he could bring to the side. Again, two matches since his arrival. OK, he hasn't played week in, week out for, for Bournemouth, but nowhere near the side there. Glenn Murray's been training on his own, for heaven's sake, and he's walked straight into the Nottingham Forest team and scored two goals, won them three priceless points away from home. Now, you know, what? what it just strikes me that, that, that we're just getting it wrong. If we change the manager, it just... It's probably the right decision, as far as I can tell. It, it feels to me like Munoz is, is, is out of his depth and is, isn't able to, to change things around. But I question any head coach that is attainable for Watford, can they come in and change it around? Because this culture, whatever it is, this sort of, it pervades, doesn't it? It, 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 mm-hmm. it remains in, in place. And I don't, and, and it's like, I think you're right, Adam. I think you're, there, there needs to be some bold, brave decisive decisions but I think they need to be focused on looking internally looking at themselves I don't know what it is I don't know what the change is I don't know how that manifests itself but players are flourishing away from Watford and those that come in are almost to a man struggling whether it's a head coach or whether it's players brought in to to make a difference Mm. Mike you talk about you talk about changing the head coach I think I'd disagree with you at this stage I think that's the one thing I wouldn't do and I know that's probably unpopular opinion with a lot of people my fear is that we do that we are becoming a parody of ourselves what sort of message does it send to the players if we're changing head coach yet again is that part of the problem that causes the these culture issues again what sort of message does it send out to those head coaches in waiting those that might want to come to Watford that might fancy a, a challenge of getting us back into the Premier League if they know that job security is next to nothing when we get the first bad run. I know we've in the past we've defended this model yeah. and it's and it's worked for us to an extent and perhaps it will work in the future but at this stage it it 
doesn't feel like the right thing to do. It's causing us more problems yeah, than it is correcting things. I think on the pitch, I think from in terms of if, if this was a normal team and a normal performance, you know, a normal situation, I think that he'd be the questions would be asked and he would probably be he'd probably be moved on. But I think you're absolutely right, Jason. I think we've 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 backed ourselves into this corner that now the reality is that changing head coach, even if it's the right or wrong decision, even if it is the right decision from a footballing point of view, they've got to give the give pause for exactly those reasons you outline. I mean, we're used to taking it on the chin with Watford changing their managers. We, we, gosh, we, you know, ten years in doing the podcast, it's amazing. None of us, well, it's not amazing. None of us have got the job, but you know what I mean. It, we're used to it, but now we're at a stage where it's like, oh, look, come on. It, it's the, the knock-on effect is all is almost starting to be further down the line. Like you say, the reputational damage could be such that play, teams aren't going, managers aren't going to want to do it. And and then you, and there's a, a lot mentioned about the, the the new manager bounce. And I think that's a bit reductive to say that's why we we change a head coach because if you're just looking for a new manager bounce, by definition, you're only interested in the next five games. And I don't think that is the I don't think that is the case. But there's been no change, has there? There's been no new manager bounce, really. I think there was a few positive signs in terms of the the look and feel and how the squad felt a little bit more together and, and looked a little bit more G'd up and, and so on and so forth. It, the place has felt a little bit better since Munoz came in. But as we've we've spoken about on the on the podcast, the performances have... There might have been slight improvements, but really there's been no new manager bounce to speak of, has there? So if they're looking for that, forget it. Because it ain't going to happen anymore. Problem we're now in, and this I think goes back to the culture, and I don't know how to fix it. Thanks very much, Mike. Big help. It, the right decision might be to get rid of Munoz. It, from a cultural point of view, it might be the wrong decision because it just, like yeah. you say, Chase, it just feeds into this never-ending sort of spiral of that's not working. Next, that's not working. Next, and it gives the view and it gives fuel to the fire that the that the players have too much power. Now, I think there might be something in that, but I also do think that constructive criticism from the players is valid and is important. Players are in a place of work, and if they're unhappy, they're unhappy. Get your head down and get on with it. You're paid handsomely to play football. Don't moan too much. But if things aren't working, then I think they've got a right to be critical. But it just feeds into this sort of whirlpool of, of uncertainty. Uh, and, and my worry now is that what does Watford Football Club look like this time next year? What does Watford Football Club look look like in, in three, four, five years? It's feeling increasingly like we had a, an opportunity to cement a legacy with that Premier League stint. You know, we had four great years with some ups and downs and then the last year was a was a nightmare. I think we're staring down the barrel now of a, of a very, very uncertain future if those bold decisions that Adam talks about aren't made and it does need that looking inside. I do firmly believe that the, those in charge of Watford have the best interest of the club at heart because why wouldn't they? It's a nonsense to suggest that they're not giving it all. They're all. They absolutely have made mistakes, but they absolutely do want the best. But that, at this stage, has to involve them sitting surrounded by what is patently an absolute mess. This isn't about bringing Will Hughes into the centre of midfield and everything is fine. Mm. This is about virtually every aspect is is feeling of on-field activity, because, of course, we know that, you know, the, the Hornets at home, Hornets Hive, the NHS, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And I will never not applaud that with, with all my heart. I love it. However, when it comes to on-field, it is 
nothing short of calamitous. Players coming in not playing, players leaving and, and succeeding, high turnover of managers, week in, week out, lacklustre, limp, insipid performances. It's gone completely wrong and that has to start from within. Change has to start with from within. And if it doesn't happen now, I am petrified about what sort of state the football club is going to be in in a couple of years' time. The bad week on the pitch was was there for us all to see. And, and as Mike's lovingly told us, you know, it, it isn't just from this one week. But the club did have some, uh, some backlash, particularly on the interview uh, with Andre Gray, uh, where he was trying to apologise for his behaviour, uh, even though in my mind uh, it was about six months too late. Uh, it, was, it wasn't a particularly brilliant listen for me. I think mainly that's because Andre has a very monotone voice. Uh, and it's quite hard to know if he is how he's feeling uh, and what he, he is. But it, it, it hasn't gone down well at all uh, by a, well, a chunk of the Watford fans. Look, I think that the intentions were good, but the execution wasn't quite right. I think you're right. It should have happened six months ago. There was no apology after the second lockdown breach. And that should have come the, you know, the day after it happened. They should have met it head on rather than letting it sort of just sort of disappear into the abyss. Obviously, you know, we'll come on to Luther Blissett in a moment, but there were a couple of other things that were highlighted in the um, in the interview, which tells you a story, doesn't it? That basically they, they, they waited to do the interview until after the transfer window had closed. This isn't something that, you know, is insider knowledge. It was it was mentioned in the interview, basically saying, you know, we weren't sure whether you were going to be here or not, whether anyone was going to come in for you or not. That tells you a story already. No one came in for you because no one no one wanted you on current form. That's not that's not being harsh. That's just the simple situation. So you then move on to we have to try and make the best of a bad situation. So let's get together and let's talk about what's going on. So I think that that intention was laudable. But then on top of that, you then bring in Luther Blissett and you then associate somehow the fact that Andre Gray is still showing some signs of getting into the right position and missing opportunities with a rather sort of cruel tabloid headline that was, you know, handed to Luther Blissett because his name rhymes with miss it at the time. But you forget the fact... <laughs> that this is a club legend, record appearance maker and record goal scorer who did it consistently, not at championship level. He did it obviously before from the fourth division all the way up to the first division and then was a dominant force in the first division and won the golden boot, finished as runners up. So they are incomparable, the two players. So you shouldn't do that. And I'm not surprised that Luther Blissett hit back when he when he wrote on on Facebook that he felt that it was sort of shameful PR and he was disgusted with it and he was in he was offended and all that sort of stuff I can understand that and look sometimes things happen and you probably within the team that were putting the the interview together they probably thought no 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 we're trying to do a good thing here but it was basically a PR own goal and they could have done without that and then you pile on top of that in terms of sort of PR side of things being on Sky Sports, you know, twice in a week and, you know, serving up really, really insipid performances, that's not great PR either. It's not great to have co-commentators, you know, at half time, like Don Goodman said, I know, you know, 
Mike had mentioned about Don Goodman earlier on and his sort of scathing criticism, you know, at half time when he said, well, they can't be any worse than they were. It's like, oh, God, this is this is this is basically Watford being broadcast to to a nation, to the world, being sort of shown that they're a really poor football team. Overall, just to add, just to add to the sunshine, happy world that is Watford at the moment, uh, you've also got some sort of negative PR as well, just to just to throw into the mix. So, look, it's it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it was an it was an avoidable extra sort of pin in the doll at Watford, and and it's and it is a real shame. Adam, you've got a piece coming out this week, which I don't think we're going to say who it's about, but hopefully it'll be one, it's someone who's going to help us understand a bit more about what's going on behind the scenes at Watford. Yes. Oh, I love it. Yes. <laughs> I'm tempted to leave it there, but I, I will say, yes, I'm sure people will will be very interested in reading it. And I look forward to sort of having a proper dig into what is said in this interview not to be too cryptic in the midweek podcast so yeah look out for it and uh yeah look out on the social media and it's one not to be missed even if i do say so myself if you don't want to miss it of course go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end where you can currently sign up for half price that's 3.99 or as i say about 13p a day uh, for the uh, world-class coverage and analysis that you get from the athletic part of the athletic podcast network this is from the rookery end uh, what for fans, uh, we're, we're looking for something that can help control our feelings. And, and that's the difficulty thing we're having at the moment. There are so many things stopping it that it's probably a big reason why there's been quite a lot of discourse uh, in the What for fans on Twitter, which is growing ever more clear uh, in the last week. There's been a bit of a divide between young and old. And we want to sort of try being relatively old. I'm not going to say I'm old yet, but I'm going to say relatively old. I don't like using the word middle age. But anyway, uh, the, we wanted to, to reach out and talk to someone who is a lot younger than us about what it's like for them to follow Watford Football Club. Mike caught up with one of the gang who work on WD18, the Watford fan channel. Uh, and of course, you can find that on YouTube. Uh, and he had a chat to Sam Yuko uh, about where he's at at the moment as a young Watford fan. I personally, someone who comes from kind of a, a younger segment sure. of the fan base, I think we kind of see things very differently um, compared to perhaps people uh, who have who've been around for longer supporting the football club. You can say it, Sam. Old duffers like me, you can say it. You can say it. <laughs> One thing that just really annoys me on social media and on Twitter is that people kind of invalidating other people's opinions because they're saying like, oh, you weren't around in the 1980s. Sure. You've only been supporting the Watford when the Potsos have been around. And I think that's the beauty of football, that everyone's kind of entitled to their own opinion and their own outlook on things. And I think that a lot of things have contributed to the toxicity on uh, uh, on Twitter over the last few days. And I think the fact that we're not in, we're not in the ground at the moment to perhaps show our support to the team or our frustrations to the board. Uh, the fact we're not able to communicate with Watford fans weekly as we used to, I think that's kind of all contributing to it. So it's a really frustrating time. A lot of people, I think, rightly so, say that we need to keep perspective and there's bigger things going on in the world at the moment. We're in a global pandemic. But I think the reality is as well is that for so many people, going to the football on a Saturday, well, for me at least, and I know a lot of my friends, Watford was pretty much the main outlet we had in our week, something to look forward to, something to go to every single week. And the fact that's been taken away from us, something we're so emotionally invested in, it's kind of having a, a massive impact on all of us. And I, while obviously there are bigger things going on in the world, I think taking away such a big part of all our lives is having a massive impact on so many people. 
and I think the fact that a lot of us didn't get to see a Vladimir Rivic side, I was lucky enough to be able to go to the Cardiff game. Um, I think the fact that so many people didn't get to see that and they haven't been able to see the new players involved, they haven't been able to see Ngakia play or Batman play, I think the word for it is disconnected. And I think a lot of people, their frustrations are kind of a way of perhaps trying to feel more connected with the football club because while it's so good where we are in the prem, what well, in the championship, I wish we were in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. While it's so good where we are where we are in the league table, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the performances have been uninspiring, and it's not the Watford that we really want to see week in week out. Do you think the expectation levels are are higher amongst slightly younger supporters? I would say so, yeah. People like yourself, my dad, uh, grew, grew up in you know the GT era and saw saw the ground when it was at its bare bones. And uh, my first memory as a Watford supporter was the struggles under Bassini. And I don't think that's even as bad as it's been in the past as well. The fact that my first, I'd say, full season I remember supporting Watford was that first year under the Pozzos where Deeney scored that incredible goal against Leicester and we got to the playoff final. And I think there's kind of an expectation because of kind of the precedent that the Pozzo set in those first few years, the few years that everything kind of has to be a certain way and everything has to be good. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've often been a victim of that kind of thinking that, you know, that we, we need to be challenging for Europe. We need to be, you know, fighting to get into the top six in the Premier League. And at times it's been delusional. I'll happily admit that. But the problem is, I don't think is a case, it's not a problem of having higher expectations. It's avoidable mistakes from people in positions of power at the football club that have not been addressed for, for a couple of years now. And they're making and they're not learning from their mistakes, it seems like, you know, we, we've been crying. We've been crying out for a centre half and we've got that now in two fantastic players in William Trustecon and Francisco Sierra if we had them in the Premier League last year, I've got no doubt we would have stayed up. The striker problem is still a problem. And it's something that looks like it's going to be a problem for the foreseeable future. And it's those avoidable errors that I think cause so much frustration, particularly in the younger fan base, where we want to see kind of a Watford team that, like we played under Javi, like we played under Zola, where it's good football, it's attacking football, we score goals. And it's just really frustrating when that's not happening. Playing devil's advocate and knowing that, you know, Gino has been in football for a long time, you know, no one's questioning that. My question would be, we all know that Watford aren't scoring enough goals, so we know that. And so obviously Gino Pozzo and, and Scott Duxbury know that as well. So is your feeling that they're just ignoring it? I don't think it's a case of ignoring it because I think I think that just makes it sound bluntly like they're not trying. And I, 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 I never doubt that they, they are trying the Pozzos and Duxbury. I mean, look where look where we were when we came when 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 they came into the football club. It's just that those small things is a striker that's going to get you promoted to the Premier League. A, a small thing, and yeah. and yeah, and I know you're and and you're really balanced and sensible, and and it's it's a great conversation to have. But I think the some of the stuff you see on Twitter, and I can't, you know, you, we know what Twitter's like. It's yeah. mental, basically, isn't it? it? It all flies off, and but you do see some stuff which is very critical of. Uh, of the board and it does suggest that they're not trying you know you see that you know they've given up or they really don't want Watford to go up you know you've even you've, you hear people suggesting that they're that they were lying with that with you know with that statement where they made when they're going to try and get Watford up so some of the stuff on social media is is very blunt is very direct and is in, incredibly critical and you know I get the frustration absolutely like I said we all want Watford to win every game and, and to get promoted is there a case of sometimes or sitting down and thinking it isn't that easy? These guys know their way around football. 
there's probably a reason for for what we're seeing. Uh, yeah, I'm not yeah, making yeah. it because there's definitely have been mistakes. We shouldn't have got relegated, in my yeah. view. Um, but is it that easy? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I just want to pick up on your point about about this uh, the picture that people are replying to on all of Watford's tweets at the moment, which is rest assured we'll get do everything in our power to get uh, Watford back into the Premier League, something along those lines. And I know a lot yeah. of people have a problem with it, and people that that's I think one of the things that have split a lot of opinion on Twitter. I personally do not have a problem with that. I think we have a right as supporters to voice our frustrations towards the football club. And while we're not in stadiums, I think the best way to do that is on social media. Rightly or wrongly, I think this has been, you know, it's arguably one of the best things that we've done because it's sparking conversation. It's making people aware of the problems that we believe are going on at the moment. And I personally don't have a problem with it. But in terms of in terms of whether we need to recognise that it's not as simple as it appears to be. I think 100% we need to recognise it. But again, I know it, it's, all the, it's all the kind of the, the fantasies that we have, but I'll refer again to players like Ivan Tony, who literally wanted to join Watford in the summer for free of a, a, a very, very low fee. And look at how well he's doing at Brentford. Yet we continue to persist with Andre Gray and Troy Deeney on massive, massive, massive wages where they could have easily walked away in the summer as well and we could have let them go. Yet we're carrying on with that and we're persisting with those problems. And that's that is that's a huge thing, in my opinion, which could easily be prevented. The situation there is obviously that there's been word that, that Ivan Tony was a target and, you know, did he want to come? Could we afford the wages? And you mentioned there Troy and Andre getting rid of them. You can't just get rid of a player, can you? You know they're they're on good wages and 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 good contracts, and you could argue absolutely that that's a mistake of the uh, of the owners to give uh, to give them a, a long contract if you if you don't feel that they're, they're they're valuable to the club. But having have them on that contract, you can't just leave them by the side of the road. Yeah, can no, you? That, no, that that that's true as well. I mean, I think I think this is really beneficial for me as well. Hearing your your version, kind of your version of events and other fans, because. I think it's really good personally for me to get kind of some more perspective on it and remembering that it's not football manager or FIFA career mode. And I think though that, I, again, I, I think it's it's just the fact as well that we're in this situation in the first place. The fact that Troy and Andre are on sure. such wages, the fact that our captain is going on TalkSport, has more TalkSport appearances than goals this season. And the fact that Andre Gray has broken the lockdown more than he scored this season. And while that's perhaps not, neither of them are affecting the performances on the pitch. It's just that principle that makes the kind of creates that frustration with the fans and makes fans feel disconnected from the football club. And this group of players, which I think is pretty fair at the moment for a lot of these fans. And it's difficult to get them out. But I just I just feel that we're not going to really progress with them at the football club or starting every week without a kind of a free scoring striker. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration is coming from. I think that's the key word, isn't it? There's there's definitely a lot of frustration. And I think someone used a great a great word about this season. And it was it was underwhelming, and I think that sums it up really nicely, doesn't it? The one thing I I think, and this is me sounding like an old bloke, basically, but I'm thinking about I don't know, perhaps you, Sam, your first job out of um, out of uni or out of sixth form is you know social media guy at a football club. When there's tweets like that, they aren't going to Gino Pozzo; they're going to a bloke or a girl sat at a desk. I don't know. It just strikes me as, especially with that quote as well, where it's like, it's it's sort of questioning whether whether the the board are delivering, and and what for the one win outside the automatic promotion places. I get it. I totally understand the frustration. I I really do. And and I think perhaps there's a there's a recognition from both sides of the, not the fence, but of 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 the generational gap, if you like, that it is probably harder than than any of us know, really. 
I mean, just picking up on your point about the social media again, I mean, obviously it's not Gino or Scott running the social media. It doesn't mean that they're not aware of certain things because they will know the frustration about the frustrations in the fan base at the moment because I think we all kind of need to have a bit of perspective, but we also shouldn't kind of get carried away with the whole argument that they saved our football club and look where, look where we used to be. I think we need to recognise their mistakes and that they could be doing better at the moment. Absolutely, and I think that's I think that's a key the fact there is that every football supporter, I think it's our job as football supporters to be critical because if we're not critical of our club, who 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 will be? And we've seen all too often with, with other clubs where they've ended up with bad owners and bad things happening and, and if, if fans just stand by and don't make their voices heard then um then that's a dangerous path to go go down so i I make you absolutely right it's 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 important that fans are uh are critical and make sure that they have their their say um and i think from my point of view making sure it's it's measured from the rookery end a podcast about life following watford fc Mike, it's, it was great listening to that conversation because yeah. it was more than 240 characters, which is the limitation that we have on, on Twitter. You can hear your voices. You, you're not assuming anger in someone's voice, which is what happens with social media. Yes, I do have a, a, a problem. Um, the fact that they, uh, he thinks that sending a, uh, a message uh, of a quote from, from Scott and Gino, which is sort of being misquoted uh, and doing it and, and thinking the tactic of uh, quantity over quality when it comes to complaining uh, is the way to go forward. It isn't, it, it, it's poor for me. That's, that's, that's my, my point of view. He has his point of view. Um, but this divide of, of young and old, it, it seems to be a little bit that it's like you, you haven't experienced enough of Watford. And I have experienced 30 years of supporting Watford. That I don't think that makes me a better or a more knowledgeable or have a better opinion than anybody else. Um, it's my experience. Uh, but I think what it does do for me, which I, I sort of seen, have seen some of the other what fans sort of try and, and say, is the fact that it, this experience helps you deal with things in a slightly more controlled manner and, and definitely not as angry at, at it. Hugely appreciative to Sam for yeah, coming on, and it was so it was it was great to talk. And what well, I think, you know, my take on it is that I absolutely understand where everyone who is critical of Watford is coming from, certainly at the moment. And I also understand the point of view of you know if you've started watching Watford at a certain point and you've seen a, a, a trajectory upwards, you know, I think harking back to t- times when times weren't great. I understand why that's frustrating because you, because it's like well why should we go back to that that's in the past why can't we aim for higher so I, I understand the frustration that with this feeling that, that that perhaps is slipping away and what why shouldn't as Watford supporters we we aim higher just because you know we were once in Division Four just because once we almost went once I totally get that and I agree with it if you don't aim for better you'll never get better what I think I had a slight problem with is. It's about rationalising the criticism. What actually is it that you're upset with? What is it that you're cross about? And I think the the thing that upset me was that they're taking that quote out of context. The the quote about and um, we will do everything in our in our power to get Watford back into the Premier League. Now, for my take on it was that requoting reposting that was suggesting they're not trying they're not trying their hardest which they, obviously they are and it's about accepting that they're making mistakes and trying to hone in on you know what are the actual mistakes and what are the what are the conversations you want to have about making it better because um, you can say right Gino out Scott out 
but that's a starting point at best it's not an answer and I think it's just about taking a little bit of time to think about what the change could be and what you know what's going wrong and what could the fix be and what's the realistic fix what's the way of looking at it and I think it's true in the world you just if there's something going wrong that you're angry about take a step take a beat to think about it and try and work out what the sensible and manageable and realistic route out of it is and I think just sort of Getting angry is is fine and is understandable when things aren't going going well. But at the end of the day, there, there has to be some constructive element to it. Uh, I understand that everyone's frustration. Everyone's listened to my podcast will have heard it from me. You know, for ten years, I've been I get agitated and upset when things aren't going well. So I get it, but I do think it's about being constructive and and just taking a, a a beat to think about it and it is hard these days when you know you to get your voice heard on social media you have to you you might feel like you have to shout that little bit louder or make your point a little bit more not extreme that's a wrong word but you know what i mean to cut through you have to you have to be loud these days um and that goes for for me as well it goes for us when we talk about the podcast we tweet about it a lot so i i get it it's it's difficult and th- i think the underlying thing at the moment is that none of us are able to go to the football and it, it's joyless at the moment. It's joyless off the field and it's joyless on it. We're not getting anything from it. So I get where everyone's coming from that their, their Watford supporting experience at the moment is is not a fun one. So ultimately, we're all in this together. We all have different views about how we go about being a, a supporters. We all have different views about how we go about life. That's fine. But we do need to, as Sam and I said, just remember that we're all in it together and be ultimately be respectful of, of each other's views thank you very much for everyone who gets involved with social media at Watford podcast uh, some uh, fascinating input particularly uh, thanks to uh, to Watford underscore TID or Steve uh, who who gave us a massively interesting history about the name rookery end uh, either we're named after birds or the, uh, a slum uh, is basically what it comes down to on this podcast. Uh, but you can find that on our social media, at Wolfer Podcast. But one question we got from, from Alan uh, Ambler. Uh, he said, decide which generation of teams is the most exciting to watch. I suppose, for me, it was like, what's your favourite past era that you look back on and, and enjoy? Jason, we've said this before, you've been a supporter longer than Mike and I. We came in the mid to late 80s. You were here in the early 80s. For you, what was your favourite era? And by era, I'm saying... Three to five years. In, in that mind, Graham Taylor had about about four eras. He had his initial one. He had the one where we made all the big achievements. Then he had the one where we were sort of a solid, great team uh, until he left in 1987. Then there was the demise of the, the late 80s, early 90s. The, from bad, the bad to worse, from uh, 92 to 96. GT's return. Then there was the financial struggles uh, after that. A.D. Boothroyd. Then there's, I call them the holding on years uh, under uh, Malky Mackay and Sean Dyche. Then it was about us getting up with the Potsos and then finally the, the, the last few years, which have been the, the Premier League survival. For you, Jace, what's your favourite era to, to look back on? So I'm going to go for a, for a GT era. Now, you mentioned, obviously, I'm the older of the three of us here and I grew up watching Watford in the early 80s. But I think at that age, as a youngster, you don't quite appreciate what's out there in front of you and what it's going to lead to when i started watching watford it was very much that felt normal being being in the first division getting to the uefa cup playing in an fa cup final i thought it was going to be like that forever and quite quickly i worked out that it wasn't so i'm actually going to go for gt's return 
and it sort of it kind of ties in with personal circumstances as well i up until that point obviously school then i was at university and when i first started working i worked a lot of saturday so I couldn't always get to the football and then my circumstances changed i mean all of a sudden i was available on saturdays i got my first half season ticket during that 97 98 season started going to a few more away games because i was earning money and had free saturdays i was also single up until about halfway through i think which ironically when i met my other half who i'm still with today actually started working at the job i'm still with today so those two years that sort of 97 to 99 set me on the path for for where i am now so it was a big big part of me personally but in terms of the football there were the expectations weren't there i don't think that are there today we were overachieving certainly in the 98 99 season and it just felt like a a sort of wonderful journey and starting of a new a new life jason <laughs> oh my yeah you could say yes yeah, sort of starting of a new life for me and for watford football club and it could i mean it could well be that the, the fact that we started that era in what was then called Division Two, so the third level of English football, if Graham hadn't turned up, if El- Elton obviously came back to the club as well and sort of reaffirmed his connections with the club, coming back as uh, as chairman, didn't he during that uh, during that period? What would have happened to Watford Football Club if that hadn't happened? Would we be ended up back to the Watford of the uh, of the early years of the? sort of war years, the, the the 50s and the 60s, where our biggest ambitions would have been trying to get out of the uh, the, the lower levels of English football. You, you just don't know. And, and that then has, has led to what we've seen. You talk about the holding on years. We did fantastic to, to hold on to our status then. Would the Potsos have come in and would, have, would they have been interested in Watford if we had stagnated and, and sort of stuck in those lower reaches for the last 20 years. I, I think it was, whilst it doesn't get spoken about in the same terms as the first Taylor era, I still think it was a very, very important time in Watford Football Club. And the fact that we were on an upward spiral, that we had momentum, those two promotions in, in two seasons, it was just so enjoyable to, to watch and and the atmosphere around the club, obviously very different to what we've been talking about is happening today. My one is, I think, is, is the that sort of the beginning of the Pozzo era. I think it was probably one of the first times where if things weren't going quite right, the, the feeling that actually things would be all right in the end. And we were talking about in the WhatsApp group you know, last night, that, that moment where we'd had such a, a bubbly season, yes, which ended in not quite getting into the Premier League under Gianfranco Zola, but that moment we were looking up at Crystal Palace, lifting their promotion playoff final cup. And I, I never had, for the first time in a long time, especially for the you know, post, what, the era you're talking about, Jason, where if we went up, it was a bit of luck and it, it probably wouldn't last the feeling I had seeing Crystal Palace lift that trophy was, yeah, we're probably going to be back here again. Uh, it might not be instant. It might not be perfect, but we, we should hopefully be back here again. And I think that's the, the moment I sort of keep hold of and what I enjoyed about that time. Mike, are you going to be weird? Are you going to be weird, Mike, and give us a really dark time? That's your favourite. <laughs> part, part of me, yes, basically. I really enjoyed, you know, the 90s, the mid-90s gets spoken about a lot in terms of the the sort of turgid football that uh, that was served up, and quite rightly so. But I loved it because what you did, you, you were turning up 
for turning up sake. You turned up just because that's what you did to to support Watford. Um, you know, me and my brother would go with some friends. We'd go to to loads of away matches. We had um, uh, season tickets in the home end, which was then the Vicarage Road end. And you know, the football was pretty bad, but it was it was going. That sense of belonging really. Um, really flourished in that time, and I think some, perhaps during the the less exciting times, that that's that is um, extended. That's it's it's made even more important. Some you, you enjoy it in a in a perverse way even more. There's no expectation. Um, there was a relegation and final day against Leicester, but apart from that, there was no real excitement building up to it. When we find finally dropping out of the the division, really, it was just a sort of a grind, a sense of duty, but it was also utterly, utterly magical. Crowds of sort of 8,000 rattling around, rattling around Vicarage Road. Uh, you know, average teams usually giving their best against other average teams uh, and, and plenty that were better than us. And it was just going week in, week out to support your football club with no no expectation, really, of, of anything. You didn't expect a cup run. You didn't expect promotion. Um, and I guess the, the the idea was to to get and mass enough points to to avoid relegation. You went for a goals. You went to see the goals. You went for the celebration. You went for the bundles, as we, like we used <laughs> yeah. to call them, um, replaced with limbs, of course, these days. That's what you went. You know, those you were going for individual moments in the hope that you'd see a flash of brilliance or a brilliant goal or a last minute equaliser or a funny sending off or something. Um, so I did love those. I did love those sort of wilderness years, if you like, in the nineties. But I think more recently. Malky and, and Sean Dyche, those those three seasons, I guess it was, when Malky came in, he took over from AD, didn't he? And then took over again when uh, he was caretaker and took over again when, when Brendan Rodgers left us in the lurch. And it was a time when, again, there was no expectation, wasn't it? Both Malky and, and Sean Dyche were operating against the backdrop of, again, of financial uncertainty. We don't need to go too much into, into what was going on in those days. But again, there wasn't too much expectation apart from staying in business and staying in the division. And I think in Malky's second season, we, we started well, didn't we? We sort of flirted with the playoffs. Danny Graham had a good couple of seasons. Um, Troy obviously started in the, 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 that first in that Sean Dye season. And with the, the youngsters were playing, weren't they? Through, we had to play them. Um, but it was nice to have that sense of belonging and belief that sort of local lads were coming through and wearing the yellow shirt for Watford. And again, there was that sort of sense of belonging without there being that sense of expectation or really any realistic hope of, of the club doing anything other than, than survive. And, and the identity at that point, I think, was because of those young players yeah. having to come through, that felt like a modern day version of what I sort of initially had seen yeah. when I was first supporting Watford. Watford young youth players having to come through uh, and, and doing a, a really fine, fine, fine job. Uh, you probably got a different one. When, not not if, when will we have another great era for Watford? We do not know. Uh, and hopefully we will find that out in the coming years of doing this podcast uh, we call From the Rookery End. Thank you very much, Mike. No problem, guys. No problem at all. Nah, well, you say you've got no problem, but anyway. Uh, and thank <laughs> you very much, Jason. Uh, thank you. Uh, and then, of course, Adam, we'll be back with a podcast where we'll talk through the uh, special interview that he has done on Thursday morning. So I hope you're looking forward to that. Remember to follow us on social media, at Wolf Podcast, on Twitter, Facebook, and on Instagram. And, uh, well, I think we need to have an Arlo with a come on you horns. Go!
The Athletic.